Hey, and welcome to the Resound Church podcast. Whether it's your first or your 40th time tuning in, we're so glad you're here. And we pray that you get something powerful from today's sermon. So we're starting a new series. It's called A New House. Now, uh, I'm going to say some more controversial things as we go through this. But, you know, um, how many people, you know, better homes and gardens. I, I found out our granddaughter, one of the exciting things that she gets to do on Friday nights in the school week is she gets to stay up late on Friday nights and watch better homes and gardens. <laughs> I thought, there's something not right there. <laughs> Amy Lee will sort it out with me later. She's not here this morning. so. <laughs> but Layla loves better homes and gardens. Now, lots of people still buy magazines about new houses, don't they? No one's admitting to it. I'm telling you, some of you do, because otherwise they wouldn't still be in the supermarkets. People keep buying these things about new houses, and and, and they get all excited about it. And uh, Or they buy the magazine, they go home, and they wish that their house looked like the house that was in the magazine. They don't realise that the house in the magazine actually cost 20 times what theirs cost. And it's just a, a big game. And so it's all about aesthetics. It's about the way that it looks. And, um, and so, you know, we all live in houses, don't we? Uh, if you live in an apartment, that's a house as well. If you live in a caravan, then that's a house too. Um, we, we all live in houses. Some of the houses we live in are, are large, some of them are small, some of them are old, some of them are new. Uh, but they're, at the end of the day, they're all houses. Some of you live right on top of each other. Some of you have got more space between you. But at the end of the day, whether you live in in Melbourne, and I'm assuming most of you live in this area somewhere, um, or you live in another country, you live in a house. Is that right? But you get enticed by a house that looks better than the one you live in. Is that correct? It's sort of like there's a tease. It's like and, 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 and I've said this many times before, that's what marketing is all about. It's a, it's a tease to get you interested in something just a fraction better than what you've got so that you'll spend money, whoever's advertising will make more money, and, um, and your dissatisfaction will somehow be uh, gratiated by the new experience you have in the new house, whatever that might look like. You know, we all dwell in houses that suit our needs. Some of you have sewing rooms. Um, Trent, do you still have your sewing room? No, no, no. Trent gave it up because Sarah wanted to study or something. Um, some of you, some of you have gyms. Some of you have studies or offices. Some of you, and you don't have to put up your hands. Some of you have rooms with nothing in them other than junk. And uh, the junk is very important to you. I accept that. It's, you know, sentimental. um, And, you know, when you pass away, someone will have to sort all that junk out. (laughs) And we all have houses like this, don't we? Uh, We we have things in different rooms. Based on our personality, that's the way we sort ourselves out. I got some awful news for you this morning. A house usually reflects the values of the people that reside in it. You might think, oh no, this is not, my house is different 
to what I am. No, 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 no. Your house, given long enough, usually reflects the values that you have. And that's a good thing, but it's a bad thing. It's a bad thing because it says something about you. It's a bad thing because it says something to others about you. And it's a bad thing because maybe you realize that what you value is different to what you think you value. But at the end of the day, houses all have a very similar purpose, and that is people usually live in them. You know, we, we sleep in a bedroom. We usually prepare a meal and maybe even eat in the kitchen. You're supposed to bathe in the bathroom. Uh, you wash your clothes in the laundry. And it doesn't matter, you know, whether the house is 10 squares or 100 squares. The purpose of a house is usually the same. Whether it's worth $100,000 or a million dollars or $100 million, at the end of the day, most houses fulfill the same basic purpose. Have you ever wondered what people do in some of those houses you see in Hollywood? You know, there are, you know, 1,500 squares or something. You think, what do you do with all that room? It's like, what's the point of it all? It, it, it does often those houses do something for the ego of the person who owns the house, but you still only sleep a certain number of hours a day, and whether your house is you, you, you're massive or small, you still sleep in a bed. You still have food. And it doesn't matter how expensive the food, the food is not usually that much better than the, the cheaper food. And, and so, you know what, our... our Series is called A New House, and I want to I deal with a few things that come out of this. And the first point, like I've already said, the house eventually usually reflects the values of the people who reside in it. Now, I want to go through a quick history lesson. In the Old Testament, we had what was known as the house of God. It started with the tabernacle in the wilderness, and you'll see an image there. It was a tent-type structure that travelled with the Israelites after they'd come out of Egypt. They had this tabernacle. It was a place of reverence and awe. It was a place of revelation and contemplation. It was a place of prayer and sacrifice. And ultimately, it was a place of worship and, and a, a point at which they, the community that gathered around it believed that God dwelled there and that he spoke to them from that tabernacle. Now, that you know, it's hard, and Sarah did a great job trying to find images of the tabernacle and the temple, and the reality is we, we have some idea of what it might look like, but we're not completely sure. But the point is this, aesthetically it wasn't that attractive. We've jumped ahead a little bit there, I think. Um, it wasn't that attractive. We moved on into David's era, and then Solomon built a temple. And now the temple was, from all reports, an extraordinary building. You, you, you know, as we read in the Old Testament about how it was put together, there was, there was gold on the wall. It was, it was just profound. And if you go forward a couple there, I'm not sure exactly. That's probably one of the temple. Um, and, 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 you know, the walls seem to have been 
caked in some gold leaf. Uh, it was extraordinarily expensive to build. Uh, but again, it was a more permanent uh, expression of a house that God apparently dwelled in and they went to all this expense and effort despite the fact that God actually said multiple times I don't live in houses but the Israelites believed that he did live in the house and they believed you know remember the tabernacle as it as it went from place to place appeared to carry blessing with it Uh, they believed that the temple was a sign of God's blessing on them and that God himself dwelled within the temple Again, just like the tabernacle, it was a place of reverence and awe, a place of revelation and contemplation, a place of prayer and sacrifice. Ultimately, it was a place of worship. It was a, it was a, 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 a building or a, um, a monument that the community gathered around. It had certain restrictions. In other words, people could go in some places, they couldn't go in others, just as the tabernacle did. Um, the ordinary people couldn't go into the Holy of Holies where God was. It was, it was a place of awe and, um, and if God was in that place, then that they were concerned for their life. They, they feared that they'd lose their life. Now, the Israelites had interesting, an interesting story, as we know from the Old Testament. You know, they went through ups and downs, if you can put it that way. You know, there were slaves in Egypt for about 420 years. They went into the wilderness for 40 years. They went through into the promised land and began to take possession of that. Uh, They eventually got to the golden era where, you know, David set it up and there was peace and prosperity. Solomon built the temple. He built his own palace, which was significantly larger. Um, He was said to be the wisest, but also the wealthiest man in the world. He had, I can't remember exactly, 800 concubines. I don't know if that's wise or not, but um, that's without his wives. So, But what happened is we know the story of the Israelites and how they disobeyed God time and time and time again, despite the fact that there was something that represented God with them in their view most of the time. They're expected to visit the temple. They're expected to gather around the tabernacle. They were that there was a visible presence, if you like, to remind them of the fact that the God who they supposedly served was with them, but it didn't adjust their behavior. And so we, we, we find, you know, eventually they went into exile, the temple was destroyed. But then as they began to re- return back to the promised land... There, there was a process of rebuilding that took place. And we're going to pick up a few passages of Scripture. Ezra chapter 3, verse 11 to 13. And this is about the time that the foundations were being laid. It says, with praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, His good, His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid. Many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because people made so much noise and the sound was heard from far away. So get a picture of this. The the older people, if I can put it that way, knew what the temple used to look like. They knew what it represented. They'd seen it in its glory. 
And as the temple was in the process of being rebuilt, the foundation was laid, it brought them to a place of grief. Probably grief over what was lost. Grief because what was being rebuilt didn't match the standard or the quality of what, was pre- what previously existed. A little further on in Haggai, again similar, it says this, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory, and how does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? I want to stop for a moment there. The golden era for the Israelites was when Solomon completed the temple and they ruled the world in a sense, not literally, but in a, in a, um, in a sense with regard to prestige and pride. Uh, you know, we know the Queen of Sheba came to see and to hear this man Solomon and the temple in all its glory with everything gold-plated, and we know that it just declined through the years, and now suddenly they're back in a place where they're attempting to rebuild it. And Haggai's response says, does it not seem to you like nothing? In other words, this doesn't match what we had. It, it doesn't measure up. It goes on, and it says, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says in a little while, while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place, I will grant peace. And, and you know, as we read that, we can imagine that what was being said was that the rebuilt temple will match the magnificence of the previous temple, but that isn't what's being said. People were pining for the aesthetic, if I can put it that way, of the previous temple. They weren't mourning the purpose of the temple, they were mourning the aesthetic of the temple, they were mourning the pride that they had in the world because of the temple. They were mourning their status, their position. They were disappointed. And yet this prophetic word comes saying, you know, the, the glory of the new house will exceed the glory of the old. And, and you know what? That temple that was rebuilt got knocked down again. Not straight away, but it did. It existed in Jesus' time. And I think it was AD 69... When it, was, when it was destroyed. And, and that triggered a whole new... As a matter of fact, Jesus coming to the earth triggered a whole new era. The tabernacle and the temple shared the same purpose. They were places of reverence and awe, revelation and contemplation, places of prayer and sacrifice, ultimately 
a place of worship that the community gather around. And again, it, it is said to be the place where God dwelled. Going back to where I started, the house that you live in has purpose. Forget about it, it's aesthetic, but it has purpose. It's a place to sleep, it's a place to eat, maybe a place of hospitality, could be a place of nurture, it's a place that protects you from the elements, it's a place maybe that you feel secure in. And so the house, whatever it's ascetic, has a certain feel to it. And, 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 you know, as we think about what's happened over these past couple of years, what's happened is, it seems to me the church as we know it has been demolished as well. The church around, the, especially in the Western world, isn't what it used to be. In many churches, in particular, larger churches, their attendance is now 40% of what it was prior to the pandemic. So if you had a church that had 10,000 people attending, now they have 4,000. As a matter of fact, in many cases, it's way worse than that. Churches in their thousands are now barely in their hundreds. The church today, aesthetically, isn't what it was two or three years ago. And as a matter of fact, I know people mourn that. I know Ruth says, when do you think things will return to normal? They're not going to return to normal. And we need to come to grips with that because we now live in a different era. Aesthetically, things have changed, but the purpose of the church hasn't changed. It still remains the same. And now we know that the church is not the place where God dwells. We've moved on from that. We still think it somehow, some way. And through the 2,000 years since Jesus died and rose again, the church in its various forms has built what could be called temples. Some of the cathedrals are magnificent. But, but they were, and they're treated, were treated in the same way as the temple were treated. But we know that God doesn't dwell in a building. God doesn't dwell in this building. As a matter of fact, the New Testament and Jesus are both very, very clear about where God does dwell, and he does still dwell in a temple. But the temple is no longer made with human hands. As a matter of fact, what the Bible says is he dwells within you and I. 1 Corinthians 6 says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore, honour God with your bodies. I haven't got time to continue the progression from temple to synagogue and then to the church. But what I have got time to say is this, God wants to live within you. And harking back to what I said at the start, I said, your house represents the values you live by. Not the values you aspire to, but the values you live by. In other words, the way your house is reflects your values. I'm not talking about the aesthetics. And the reality is, if this here is the temple of God now, 
The way I conduct myself represents the values I have. And if God is said to live within me, which the Bible says he is, is his influence profound enough to show, uh, to, to show itself through the way that I act and think? There's something to think about there. Do you know, Corinthians, uh, sorry, Colossians 1 verse 27 says this, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, in some ways, this message may sound judgmental. That is not the intention. Do you know, Christ can and wants to live within each of us. And Paul speaks about in Corinthians the fact that we're changed from glory to glory. And what what it means is as God is dwelling within us, his influence increases progressively. Paul talks about the fact that outwardly he's getting older, but inwardly he's being renewed. What he's saying is God is continuing, continuing to impact on his values, on his actions, on his, on his plans, because Christ lives within him. And we're all on the same journey in that sense. We're all temples of God, if you like, and we're progressively changing, we're pro- progressively becoming new. Ephesians three fourteen to 20 says this, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. And I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with the inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts As you trust in him, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. My challenge to you is this. There's a God who dwells, if you've received Jesus into your your life, then there's a God who dwells within you. Is he getting the, the exposure that he wants and needs? And, 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 you know, too often, again, we go to ascetics. Even as I'm saying this, you think about what you're doing rather than how you're feeling. You think about your behavior and the things that you do wrong rather than what God is speaking to you about. The reason I read this passage here in particular is there is one primary thing that God wants you to experience if he's dwelling within you. And that's simply this that he loves you completely. His grace is greater than your sin. He is more competent and capable of overwhelming you than you are of overwhelming him. The challenge we have is not to change our external behavior, but simply to receive the good that he wants to do within us and everything else will take care of itself. Do you know, I've been married... um, a while, which is uh, 35 years. <coughs> Sorry about that. 
Um, I actually do know, I just like playing games. And whether I want to or not, I've changed because I've married Ruth. Whether Ruth wants to or not, she's changed because she's married me. We are progressively changing, and that's a change as a result of an external force or influence or power. It just happens over time. We think the same things, we say, we don't say, always say the same things. But, but we can read each other, we know what's going on, and it's a result of a long-term committed relationship. You know, Christ lives within us and wants to bring about the same change, but the primary change he wants you to know about is his unceasing and endless love. It's a new house. And you know, we... Maybe I'm the only one. We all like things that are new. There's something about it. We think that somehow it's going to change something. It doesn't change. You know, you get a new phone. Does it change anything? No, it's, it still rings. It doesn't change who rings you. Well, if you change your number, it does. <laughs> I'm just thinking about doing that, actually. Um, <laughs> But, but at, the, at the end of the day, a phone still does what a phone does. And everyone's the latest phone. Why? Because you get, you know, minuscule changes to the, the camera. And, and, you know, none of us are exports. There's some people who can take photos. But most of, us, most of us can't use the basic phones we've got now and, the, 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 um, and all the functions they have. And it's like, so I need a new phone because it's got a much better camera. Well, the one you've got is good enough. And what do you do with the photos anyway? They disappear. Unless you fastidiously store them all, which some of you may do. But the reality is most of them just disappear into nowhere. But you you want the new phone because it's somehow going to make a difference to your life. You, You want a new this or a new that, but the purpose remains the same. Hebrews 3, 6 says this, but Christ as the Son is in charge of God's entire house. We are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope. What does your house look like? I'm not talking about the house that you live in and sleep in. What does this house look like? Is it a place of reverence and awe? A place of revelation and contemplation? Is it a place of prayer and sacrifice? Is it a place of worship? A place where you meet with God and where you know God is? Do you know, as a church, we all know what we want the church to be, but we have very little control over it. Because what the church is or what people experience in the church is the result of everyone that's here. We want it to be a place of comfort and security, a place of nurture, a place of learning, a place of understanding, a place that helps others through times of difficulty, a place that celebrates the, the victories that we all experience. But at the end of the day, the church is not the building, it's you, it's me. And not one of us is perfect. And so for the church, 
to truly be what it ought to be. You're going back to Acts 2 and, you know, I'm going to finish in just a moment. Going back to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 to 45, it says something about what the church ought to do. But the church is you, it's me. The church is the assembled temples of the Holy Spirit. It's the called out ones, the one that the ones that have responded to the call of Christ. That's the church. And so there is a new house. You know, most of you probably already realize now, but we want to plant more churches. We're in the process of doing that out towards Lilydale. Uh, There's a group of people that have been meeting there in the afternoon for quite some time now, 30 or 40 people, and Mitch and Tori are involved there, and Ruth and I have been involved in there most Sunday afternoons. We're also starting something else out towards the Cardinia Pakenham Way. And we'll start meeting there on Sunday afternoons um, in, in March. And why, why do we want to do that? We want to create more places of security, comfort, love, nurture, kindness. And so we've got to work with people. Not everyone who's in those groups represents everything that we really need. As a matter of fact, no one does. That's why we need more people. Why? Because one has a strength in one area, one has a strength in another area. And do you know, no one has to be perfect. Do you know, I'm glad that I'm married to Ruth because, you know, I'm strong in some areas and she's strong in others. Most of you know that. She's much more pastoral than I am. She's much more caring than I am. She has more mercy than I I don't know what I actually do have. But anyway, <laughs> just forget that. We won't keep going on that one. The church is not what it was two, three years ago. But let me tell you this. Its purpose remains the same. And, you know, Christ has called us because he loves us first and foremost. And he wants us all to reverberate with that, with the reality of his love internally. And it may be that you, you might be saying, well, I haven't felt God for a long time. Well, give him time. What I mean by don't give him time, don't keep waiting. Find some time, make some time, meet with him, talk with him. Push in, push hard. Because he wants you to reverberate with the impact of his love. He wants you to to smile when there doesn't seem to be a reason to smile. He wants you to laugh when there doesn't seem to be a reason to laugh. He wants you to be weird because what's happening within is different to what's happening on the outside. Have you seen people like that? You see them, you're talking to them, and then suddenly there's this strange smirk, and you think, what's the smirk for? Where did that come from? Come from what's going on inside, what they were thinking. But ultimately, what we want is our external expressions to reflect the love of God that we feel and the love of God that's being extended out through us to others new house we're going to spend some weeks talking about this a new house I want you to desire God like you've never desired him before and for us to reach the city and the nations like we've never desired to reach the city and nations before but it's the church is being refreshed renewed that's a good thing the ascetic has changed but the purpose has. And Father, I pray today.
You're a God who loves us. And you love us when we don't love ourselves. You love us when we do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, act the wrong way. And you extend grace to us that goes beyond what we can ever comprehend or understand. And your grace goes beyond what we ever deserve. My prayer today, Father, is that you would move by your Holy Spirit and that you would work within each of us as we consider what these words mean to us personally and individually. I pray for those that don't know you today, that they might take a step closer towards you, begin the investigative process, begin to learn more, begin to understand more, begin to inquire. Father, touch us today, I pray. Bless us in Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening through this message recorded live at Resound Church in Melbourne. You can find out more about who we are online, including our service times and live streams. Have a great week and we'll catch you next time.